today we're talking about the new YouTube apocalypse, the truth about a mother and her son's murder charges, why some 16 year olds and corporations can now vote in elections. We're gonna talk about all that and so much more on today's brand new Philip DeFranco show you daily dive into the news. So hit that like button and let's just jump into it. Starting with YouTube's new adpocalypse is here, but a key thing is that it's not happening the same way that we've seen in the past. Right in the past, some journalists would find ads playing next to like an ISIS video, or people could find videos that were really scary and creepy being fed to kids. Right, and that scared sponsors away for a certain amount of time. But this time the sky may be falling because a new report alleges that Google hasn't been following its own ad standards for roughly three years. And the ads in question come from YouTube, but they're not ads that run directly on the site. Because right, YouTube also has deals to run video ads on a variety of other websites where Google charges a premium. A premium where among other things it ensures that ads will go on reputable sites before the page's main content. The audio is supposed to be on and brands do not have to pay for ads that get skipped. But now research from analytics, which is obtained by the Wall Street Journal claims that Google skirts those standards around 80% of the time. And doing so by placing the ads as small muted autoplay videos to the side of the main content on sites that are not up to Google's own monetization standards. Right, meaning sites that traffic misinformation and publish clickbait and pirated content. And the claim is that this is not a small scale problem. With it reported that researchers got this data by monitoring campaigns from over 1,000 brands that got billions of ad impressions between 2020 and this year. With the brands said to have gotten substandard ad placements including Johnson & Johnson, American Express, Samsung, Sephora, Macy's, Disney Plus, and the Wall Street Journal itself. And even government agencies like Medicare, the U.S. Army, and New York City municipal government being impacted. And as you might guess, people aren't happy about this, with some ad buyers saying they want their money back. With Joshua Lowcock, which Joshy buddy, uh, what was middle school and high school like for you with a last name like that? That doesn't just not get addressed. But, I'm getting sidetracked here, Josh is the global chief media officer at the ad agency UM Worldwide, and he told the journal, this is an unacceptable breach of trust by YouTube. Google must fix this and fully refund clients for any fraud and impressions that failed to meet Google's own policies. Lowcock out. And another executive at the digital ad agency AIDEM saying, I feel cheated. What I requested to buy was not what I got. This should entitle me to a refund for invalid traffic. And if we're talking refunds, that would be incredibly costly to Google. With Analytics' report noting that this misalignment might have cost media buyers up to billions of digital ad dollars. Now, all that said, for its part, Google has defended itself against the accusations, telling the journal that many of the claims here are just inaccurate, and adding, as part of our brand safety efforts, we regularly remove ads from partner sites that violate our policies, and we'll take any appropriate actions once the full report is shared with us. With Google also claiming that the vast majority of video ads that it sells are served on YouTube, not third-party sites. But with that, you have Analytics saying they found that more than half the budget buyers spend on ad bundles go to non-YouTube pages, which if true is why ad buyers would be incredibly mad. With a journal reporting that brands pay around $100 for every 1,000 completed views for third-party ads under the premium rate deal, because they want to avoid having those crappy ads that are on the margins, which only cost $5 per 1,000 instances of the ads. Right, so you'd be talking about a very big difference between what was paid for and what you got, which is why some have equated this to a multi-billion dollar scam. But ultimately, we're gonna have to wait to see how things play out, especially as this could get ugly really fast. And then, this is one of the craziest stories today, and I think it really highlights how important it is that people film things. Right, so on June 18th, at a restaurant on the south side of Chicago, 35-year-old Carlicia Hood gets into an argument with a man in line, 32-year-old Jeremy Brown. Early reports saying the argument gets heated, Carlicia's 14-year-old son then enters the building and shoots Brown, with a man then running out of the restaurant and Carlicia allegedly ordering her son to shoot him again before they got into their car and drove away. With Brown suffering two gunshot wounds, he died on the scene. Carlicia and her son were then identified by Brown's girlfriend, who was also at the restaurant during the time of the shooting, and they turned themselves in a few days later, with them both then being charged with murder and Carlicia being held on $3 million bail. But then, boom, Monday, massive news. Both she and her son walk out of the county jail with all charges dropped. The only reason that was even possible is police got a hold of video footage from moments before the shooting. And it showed that during the altercation between Brown and Carlicia, it didn't just get heated where, you know, they were yelling at each other. Brown literally started punching Carlicia in the face. And that is when her son started shooting. And so the Cook County State's attorney dropped the charges against Carlicia and her son, with one legal analyst saying, you have the right to use deadly force 
to stop that force against another person. And that's exactly what happened in this case, and that's exactly why the state's attorney's office dropped this case today. And adding, this goes beyond an injustice. Frankly, it's a miscarriage of justice as to what happened to this woman and her son. Carlicia actually spoke about the situation in a press conference with her lawyers yesterday. Never in a million years would I have imagined being brutally attacked, beaten, and then arrested. Very big. During that conference, they announced that she is now suing the city of Chicago and the five officers who arrested her. With her attorney saying that she was falsely arrested and maliciously prosecuted and adding a promise of more lawsuits in the future. With one of her attorneys, Brandon Brown, going on to say, If any one of you were to replace Carlisha Hood with your mother, with your sister, with your daughter, if your mother or sister or daughter were attacked in a restaurant when she's trying to order a cheeseburger, would you expect that she would be arrested? What would you do in that situation? And then, we're switching things up today. There's no D-bag of the day, just a bam. And that being 18-year-old Josh Logue from Colorado. With things starting pretty basic, Josh getting out his hobby drone after a heavy rainstorm. Just wanting a bird's eye view of a nearby creek that had overflowed. But when Josh was getting close to the creek, he saw a massive sinkhole in the road. And not just that, an SUV flipped over inside of it. And so he immediately got his dad and a neighbor and they drove out. And finding two people in their 60s who were trapped in the car with water covering about halfway up the doors and still getting higher. So they call 911, help quickly comes, they rescue the people trapped, they take him to the hospital, and there's a good reason to believe that these people would be dead without Josh. Because as it turns out, parts of the road that the sinkhole had formed on were closed due to wet conditions, and the bridge where it formed was mostly out of sight, right? And the hole was so deep, the flipped SUV wasn't even visible from the ground. Josh's drone may have been the only way these people could have even been found before it was too late. With him even saying, that was crazy to think about. If I would have been down here 20, maybe 30 minutes later, they could have been dead. Which, I mean, it's reported that Josh wants to be a professional drone pilot. I'm thinking, literally saved people's lives gonna look good on a resume and that's why josh you are our bamf of the day and then oh sleep quite possibly the best thing ever but only when you actually get it. You know, being busy with work, kids, and then you add on all of life's typical stressors, and you know, I don't always sleep well. And that's even when I'm trying to go to bed on time, but that is also where today's fantastic sponsor comes in, Beam. Right, but now you've heard me talk about Beam's delicious hot cocoa with five natural ingredients that put me right to sleep and helps me wake up feeling amazing. But also, if you have not checked out their sea salt caramel dream powder, you're gonna wanna act fast. Not only is it deliciously decadent, it contains five powerful natural sleep-promoting ingredients. Right, like nano CBD, reishi mushroom extract, magnesium, althea, and melatonin. And its third-party lab tested contains no THC and is trusted by top athletes and helps them get their best sleep and recovery. Main thing, if you find that your sleep schedule is just lacking, Beam's Dream Powder is for you. So just go to shopbeam.com slash DeFranco and use code DeFranco to get 35% off your first month subscription. I'm personally hooked and I think you will be too. That's shopbeam.com slash DeFranco and use code DeFranco to let them know we sent you. And then, this Russia Wagner situation just keeps getting messier and messier and more confusing by the day. Because yesterday, it seemed like maybe things were done. At least until our boy Prigo, you know, drank some poison tea or slipped out a window. Because yesterday, Wagner's leader was officially in Belarus to start his exile. Those charges against him officially dropped. But since then, juicy new tidbits have been coming out. Things like the Russian FSB, which you can think of as their FBI, knowing about the insurrection attempt at least two days before it started, which could undermine Wagner's claim that it was an impromptu decision in response to being attacked by the Ministry of Defense. So that also wouldn't be the only thing undermining it. Then there's the fact that U.S. officials are claiming that things could have been very different. That's because supposedly, a very senior Russian general knew about Wagner's plan as well. And there are also being widespread 
speculation that he may have been involved in planning it. Although as filming, it's just breaking that sources in the Ministry of Defense are saying he was arrested. That's probably a clear sign that authorities think that he was up to something. But the most whiplash-inducing piece of this whole story, though not surprising, is whether Wagner's leader will actually get in trouble. Right, this guy, in a span of a few days, went from being called a traitor to having his charges dropped to, oh wait, they're actually not dropped to Putin officially saying in a speech that the charges were dropped. So it seemed like water under the bridge, at least publicly. But now we're getting the news that Putin might be trying to get around his deal to drop treason charges against Wagner's leadership by instead looking into their finances. Because during a speech to soldiers, Putin pointed out that Wagner itself was pretty much fully financed by the state and got a billion dollars between 2022 and 2023. And actually on top of that, Wagner's leader was an oligarch that had a catering company that had a $1 billion contract to feed the army. Which Putin added, I do hope that as part of his work, no one stole anything. But we will, of course, investigate all this. And a very important thing here is that Putin knows damn well that money was skimmed off the top. That's how Russia's entire house of cards is held up. Skimmers and scammers and backstabbing snakes. And it really just sounds like Putin's looking for a reason because he looks very weak right now. Right? He went from Putin the untouchable to he almost got marched on by the caterer. I just don't see how things go back to business as usual without someone dying. And then if you are 16 or 17 years old, you can now vote in local elections and even hold office. But only if you live in the town of Brattleboro, Vermont, which you probably don't because it has a population of just over 7,300. But still, big news for the people there. Right? And this move comes after the town voted to amend its charter to allow 16 and 17 year olds to vote in local elections. And it would also let them serve as members of the town select board and as representatives for its annual town meeting where key local issues are decided. Now, interestingly, the decision was initially vetoed by Vermont's Republican governor, but the Democrat-controlled legislature has now overturned that veto. Even though we're talking about a small place, this is actually very historic. Because while a handful of cities and towns in both California and Maryland have let residents as young as 16 vote in either local or school board elections, organizers say that this is different. With the Associated Press reporting that this new charter is the first one in the country where 16-year-olds can vote in municipal elections and hold the highest elected offices. But also, you gotta talk about a different kind of voting story. Because while we have a town here expanding voting rights to 16 and 17-year-olds, another town in Delaware is trying to do the same for corporations. Yeah, Seaford, which is home to around 8,000 actual human people, recently amended its charter to give businesses a vote in local contests. Though notably, under the proposed change, a person who both lives in Seaford and operates a business there would still only be allowed to vote once. But if you're a person who doesn't live in Seaford but you do own a business, you would be allowed to vote twice. Once as a citizen in the town that you actually live in and once as a business in Seaford. Which you might say, you know, what's the difference one vote gonna make? Well, in Seaford, uh, possibly a very big one. Because looking into it, there are 234 businesses registered in Seaford and only 340 people voted in the last municipal elections. Or we're talking about opening the door to a very massive swing here. One that could seriously change the outcome of elections by giving businesses so much sway. Now, notably here, this is not a done deal, right? Before the charter can take effect, it has to be approved by both chambers of the Delaware State Legislature and signed by the governor. But also, that could very well happen because this is actually not the first time a town has done this. Businesses actually already have voting rights in a handful of other jurisdictions. And this could end up having an even bigger impact because Delaware is famous for being the go-to state for registering a business due to its lax registration and corporate tax laws. Like literally in Delaware, the number of businesses outnumber the actual number of human residents by nearly two to one. But with all that, I gotta ask, what are your thoughts here? Do you think it makes sense? Or are you on the side of, no, it doesn't make sense, and maybe even you're part of the advocates who argue that it amounts to voter suppression because it dilutes the vote of the people, like the actual human person. And then you're about to see how bad this Hollywood shutdown can really get. And that's because in addition to all the writers who have been striking this whole time, the actors may be joining in just two days. Because as you might remember, the Screen Actors Guild, aka SAG, voted overwhelmingly to approve a strike authorization vote. Meaning that once their contract with studios expires on June 30th, Guild leadership has the power to call for a strike if negotiations are unsuccessful. And while we're two days away and actors haven't been backing down, over the weekend, SAG President Fran Drescher posted a video suggesting that things would be promising for actors. I just want to assure you that we are having an extremely productive negotiations that are laser focused on all of the crucial issues 
you told us are most important to you. And we're standing strong and we're going to achieve a seminal deal. But according to Rolling Stone, that message hasn't comforted many actors, with many still concerned that leadership will settle for a deal that doesn't cover all their requests. So over 300 actors, including big names like Jennifer Lawrence, Meryl Streep, Ben Stiller, Kiki Palmer, Amy Poehler, Quinta Brunson, all sign a letter to SAG saying, when we say us actors are ready to strike, we really mean it. With Deadline publishing the letter in full and in it, actors noting that striking is obviously difficult and brings upon hardships no one wants, but we are prepared to strike if it comes to that. And we are concerned by the idea that SAG-AFTRA members may be ready to make sacrifices that leadership is not. Adding, this is an unprecedented inflection point in our industry and what might be considered a good deal in any other years is simply not enough. We want you to know that we would rather go on strike than compromise on these fundamental points and we believe that if we settle for a less than transformative deal, the future of our union and our craft will be undermined. And closing by saying this is no time to meet in the middle, we want SAG's leadership to fight for everything and if you can't do that, we are joining the writers on the picket line. Which, again, this is just speculation, but the fact that they did this also makes it feel like maybe that's what's been happening. A Fran Drescher and leadership may not actually be about that fight, especially given some of the lukewarm stuff that Fran Drescher said in the early days of the writer's strike. But we'll see, the, the clock is still ticking right now. And that's where today's daily dive into the news ends. For more news you need to know, I got you covered here or in those links. But thank you, and as always, my name's Philip DeFranco. You've just been filled in. I love yo faces, and I'll see you tomorrow.